The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley. I'm glad you've joined us today. I pray that this message will give great clarity to your pressing on in Jesus, what that means and where you're going. Again, the story of Esther is both a prophecy and a parable. A prophecy in that it tells us that God is moving behind the scenes in ways we can't even begin to imagine. He is establishing in time and space and history the plan he has for the redemption of his people, for the protection of his people. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God's hand is moving behind the scene to save you. The circumstances may become very difficult, but in the midst of all of that, God is moving on your behalf, whether you know it or not. Hadessa, the name that Esther was called before she became queen, adopted by her uncle Mordecai, this family is very broken when she is swept up by the government, taken to the palace and placed in the harem as a potential for the queen of the largest empire in the world. Xerxes is the king. She is appointed the beauty treatments She is sent into Xerxes, this wicked and wild man whom God has used. She is appointed queen. There's a great banquet. And then Haman rises his ugly head. This is all being played out as God has ordained it. Esther would not have chosen to go to the palace. She would not have chosen to become the queen, but she was willing to surrender to the direction of her God. And so she was led in paths she did not know. Have you ever awakened in the early hours of the morning, as I have many times, and had a heart distraught? concerned. You don't know how you're going to make it. You don't know how you can make it financially. You don't know how you can make it emotionally through another day of attacks and bitter trials by the devil. And as you lay in your bed and your mind fastens on these terrifying things in your heart, You press through, and you say, Jesus, I trust you. It's a new day. I want your name to be honored by what I do and what I say and how I act. I don't know how I'm going to make it, but I'm trusting you, Jesus, to carry me through, because I can't carry myself. I am totally dependent upon you, Jesus. I know Jesus has brought me time after time to that place to test and see 
what is in my heart. He did the same to the children of Israel. Over and over, he tested them. Over and over, he tried them to see what they would do. Hebrews, the third chapter, verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I would change that. I would say, this morning in the early hours, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. He goes on, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me for 40 years, they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ. If we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first, as has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all that Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? To whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it, for we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Well, today in this broadcast, we're going to talk about what needs to be combined with faith if you're going to enter into the rest of God. The Lord some time ago said to me, Rest in me, Ray. First time he had ever used my personal name when speaking to me. Rest in me, Ray. I know that means first in the early hours of the morning when I awaken and fear grips my heart and I say, I don't know how I can move forward. I don't know... Here's this block and this block and this block. And Lord, there's no way I can make it through this. Now, the question is, will I walk in unbelief and fear? Or will I stand by faith and trust Jesus? I choose to trust him. And I press on. And I press through. <laughs> the Lord said to me this morning, Push on through. Push on through. 
I immediately turned once more to the story of Esther. I wasn't sure that I should share this with you today, but I am very confident now it is the word of the Lord to us. You remember this story. We've covered it in the past three broadcasts. Haman, and now I'm going to give you Esther as a parable. Haman represents darkness. He represents the devil. And he's determined he will kill all of God's people. The devil is determined he's going to kill you. He is determined he will utterly destroy you. So what do we do? Queen Esther goes before the king. She is accepted. And Haman is hanged. Now, it seems that everything should be fine now. Haman is out of the way. She can be happy as queen. But her heart is concerned for her people, the people in Susa and the people across the whole realm who are Jewish. There is a decree that they are to be utterly destroyed. So now, Queen Esther decides that she must once more go before the king and risk her life. We find the story in Esther, the eighth chapter. King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told him he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed him over Haman's estate, the whole estate, the tons of silver and gold, the home, the properties, everything the king gave to Esther. And she appoints Mordecai as the head of that property and of all of that money. All of the businesses, he takes them over. Now Esther, verse 3, again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. This time she goes before the king, not timidly. She goes before the king and falls on the ground in front of him with weeping. And she begs him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman that's still in effect. The king extends the golden scepter. She rises. She stands before him. And she says, if it pleases the king, and if he regards me with favor and thinks it is the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman the Agite devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's province. And how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? King Xerxes replies to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther. 
They have hanged him on the gallows. Now write another decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews, as seems best to you, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For no document written in the king's name and sealed with the ring can be revoked. At once all of the royal secretaries were summoned, and they wrote out all of Mordecai's orders to the Jews, to the satraps, the governors, and the nobles of the 127 provinces stretching from India to Cush. These orders were written in the script of each province and the language of each people. Mordecai wrote, in the name of King Xerxes, and sealed the dispatches with the king's signet ring, sent them by mounted couriers who rode fast horses, especially bred for royalty. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble, protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate any armed force of any nationality or province that might attack them and their women and children. And it was carried out. Mordecai left the king's presence wearing royal garments of blue and white. Haman was never given these royal garments. He had a large crown of gold and a purple robe of fine linen, and the city of Susa held a joyous celebration. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy and gladness and honor. In every province, there was feasting and celebrating and many of the people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. Well, now the tables have been turned. The Jews had the upper hand over those who hated them, who threatened them. The Jews assembled in their cities, and no one could stand up against them because of the nobles of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, the king's administrators all helped the Jews because fear of Mordecai had seized them. Mordecai was prominent in the palace. His reputation spread throughout the provinces. He became more and more powerful. And the Jews struck down all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and they did what they pleased to those who hated them. Just in the citadel of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. They also killed the sons, the ten sons of Haman, and hung them. Now the king said to Queen Esther, The Jews have killed 500 men and the ten sons of Haman. What have they done in the rest of the provinces? What is your request? It will be granted to you. She says, if it pleases the king, give the Jews in Susa permission to carry out their day's edict tomorrow also, and let Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. That's a public shaming of them. So the king gave the command. The next day, 300 more men were executed by the sword 
by the Jews in Susa. They had also killed 75,000 men throughout the realm, throughout the kingdom. They then began to celebrate, and that's where the celebration of the Purim began to be celebrated by the Jews, even as it is every year, even to this day. Now, King Xerxes, in all of his power and might, with the greatness of Mordecai to which the king had raised him, they're all recorded in the books of the Persia and Media. Now, I look at this story, and I say, why was she not content? Why was she not content to simply have her life and to let it go? I want to be very specific now about the parable. She was not content to stop halfway there. She pushed through all of the way to victory. She did not take a middle ground. She gave Haman no ground to destroy the Jews. She took full advantage of her right as the queen of this empire to push all the way through so that there was no longer a threat against the Jews. Everybody knew, don't play with the queen. She is all-powerful with King Xerxes. And now Mordecai is the ruling man in the realm next to the king, and he is active as an administrator. Do not threaten the Jews or you will die. In the same way, we as Christians... Now, I'm using that term because I want to speak now to those men and women who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And if I were to ask you, are you a Christian, you would answer immediately, yes, I am. But you have only taken the first step. You have never pushed on the second step where you have gained total victory. Someone wrote to me, this last week, and they said, you're a false teacher. And they quoted a passage of Scripture to prove that I'm a false teacher. Let me read it for you. 1 John, the first chapter, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, this dear person, not understanding biblical truth, not understanding that you must read everything in context, takes that as his statement to justify continuing to walk in sin before Almighty God. He is refusing and has been taught such by the sinning Christian heresy, the Gnosticism of our day, taught by those such as, uh, I better not name the names, the most popular teachers on radio today. They teach that if you sin, all you'll lose are some rewards in heaven, but you'll still go to heaven. You can't lose your salvation. They're lying to you. 
they would have told Queen Esther, don't push through to the second level and clean out the devil. I want to say to you, the story of Queen Esther is a parable teaching us to push through to total victory in Jesus. I spoke with a dear brother yesterday. He said, I'm following Jesus, but I'm not completely there yet. Now, let me be very clear with you. If you say that, don't begin to imagine that it's a question of Christian growth. It's not. There is a place we are called to dwell where we have total victory over sin to where there is no longer any any residual sin in our systems, in our hearts, in our minds. We are cleansed by the blood. We are set free by Jesus Christ. But let me show you this in the scriptures. I want you to push through to total victory in Jesus. It is not, again, it is not a matter of personal growth in Jesus. You can't go to seminars and workshops and gain strategies to be successful in following Jesus. This is a work of repentance. It is a work of grace. It is by faith alone in the blood of Jesus. It is a work that he must do in us and for us. Our work is to repent and to invite him to come and do this work in us, and he will do it. He will cleanse us of all sin. The blood of Jesus is not like the blood of bulls and goats in Hebrews 10, where the blood of bulls and goats covers over our sin until we die. That's not what the blood of Jesus does. The blood of Jesus cleanses and washes so that there is no longer any sin remaining. Now, let's read the passages of Scripture. Don't believe Ray Greenley. Believe the Word of God. We'll go to several passages, and then we'll go to what Jesus said, because he is our atonement. Oh, how I love Jesus. His mercy and his grace, his love, they're beyond my understanding. Never have I been loved as I've been loved by Jesus. I find it beyond me to even talk about it. But please, go to 1 John. I'm going to begin reading in verse 5. This is the message. This is 1 John 1, verse 5. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son purifies us from all sin, from every sin purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, why would he add that? 
what's what's the issue that's being dealt with here? The answer is Gnosticism. Here John refutes the Gnostic claim of sinlessness. The Gnostic thought himself to be free from sin, not because of the cleansing power of Christ's blood, but by the nature of the Spirit. Gnostics viewed all matter, the human body, as inherently evil. Only what was pure spirit was sinless. Irenaeus, the early church father, says concerning the Gnostics, it is impossible that spiritual substance should ever come under the power of corruption, whatever the sort of actions in which they indulge. For even as gold, when submersed in filth, loses not on that account its beauty, but retains its own native qualities, the filth having no power to injure the gold. So they affirm that they cannot in any measure suffer hurt or lose their spiritual substance, whatever the material actions in which they may be involved. This is the prevailing belief in the Christian church today that a believer cannot be delivered from sin while he is in the body, and that he can indulge in sin without affecting his salvation. So this Gnostic view of sin has mutated through the centuries to our time, and a kind of Gnostic Christianity is proclaimed by sinning religionists instead of the gospel that we find in the scriptures. Now, let's read more of 1 John. 1 John, I'll go back and read verse 8. Let's start with 7, 1 John verse 7. But if we may keep walking in the light, just as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from every conceivable sin. If we may say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, if we say, I don't need the blood of Jesus, I'm fine just the way I am. He's saying, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we may be in agreement with God with respect to our sins, He is faithful and righteous so that he may remove the sins or forgive the sins. The word is from aphemi, meaning to remove the sins with reference to us and may cleanse us from every conceivable unrighteousness. If we may say that we have not sinned, we represent him to be a liar and his word is not in us. Now, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin even once hereafter. That you may not sin even once hereafter. But if anyone may sin once hereafter, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, a righteous one. And he himself is atonement concerning our sins, 
but not considering ours only, but also concerning the world as a whole. And by this we have known him. If we may continue to keep his commandments, the one saying, I have known him, but is not continuing to keep his commandments, he is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But whoever may keep his word truly, in this person the love of God has been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one claiming to continue in him ought to walk himself so as to walk just as that one also walked. So let's be very clear. That was reading from the Lavender Translation. Let me read from the NIV. Chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now let's be very clear. The demand of Scripture is that we go all the way with Jesus. The demand is that we finish and push through to the total victory. Now, we may still be very immature, and we may have to grow up in Jesus, and we can do that. Immaturity is never a sin in the Scriptures. The sin in Scripture is when we deliberately go our own direction, have our own agenda, and do not submit to Jesus Christ. Salvation to be real must be salvation from sin. Any system of religion that does not break the power of sin is a lie. If it does not expel selfishness and lust for the things of the world, if it does not generate love for God and for man, if it does not generate joy and peace, it is a false religion. And today, I fear that many of you have not gone on and finished this work. You have not killed the Amalekites that still remain in your life that tempt you. One man, I love him dearly. I have tried to minister to him, but he has absolutely refused to give up his large screen television. His living room is set up as a viewing theater. And his love is to have his friends come over, have some wine, have a party, and watch all manner of evil on his large screen television. And when I talk with him about giving up the things of the world, he says, oh, I love Jesus and I'm saved. No, he's not. He's utterly lost. Because until we have pushed through fully into Jesus and dealt with that rebellion in our heart, we may call ourselves Christians. But we have not entered into Jesus. No sin can enter into Jesus. No rebellion can enter into Jesus. 
Nothing impure can enter into Jesus. We are cleansed as we repent of our sin. As we turn away from it, we renounce it, and we ask Jesus to remove it from us as far as the east is from the west, and we are transformed. We don't grow out of it. We cut it off. We say, I'm finished with this sin. I will no longer walk in this sin. I am going to walk clean by the blood of Jesus. I am going to walk clean. Now, in the story of Esther, she was not content to simply rest in her queenship and say, I'll take care of Susa. No, the the agents of Haman were ready to murder and annihilate her family. And so she pushes through to victory. And many times as I've read the story of Esther, I've I've felt a, a, a twinge inside of me, and I've said, whoa, Esther, don't push this too far. Don't push this too far. You've come a long way, baby. Don't push this. But, oh, I praise God, she pushed it all the way to the end. She is the parable that teaches us. Look, don't allow any known sin to dwell in your life. Cut it off. I fear that some of you, especially you guys, a beautiful woman will walk by and you'll undress her in your mind. You'll lust after her. And nobody knows. Or you'll go home and turn on the pornography. And you'll lust after her. That's fornication. That's adultery. Or some of you will lie very easily. The lies will slip from your mouth without any second thoughts. Some of you will gossip. Gossip truly breaks people's hearts. When someone calls someone and says, I have some hot news, and they share that, and then that person calls another person and shares that, and then that person begins to call everybody and share the hot news they have, as though somehow this is making them important. And they've shared their news. Never mind the one they're gossiping about then begins to get the kickback. Did you know that so-and-so is saying this about you? And suddenly relationships come into grave danger. Trust has been broken. The pain of that person is greatly multiplied. I know. I've been gossiped about, and it breaks my heart, and it breaks my confidence in people, and I simply have to forgive them because that's what Jesus said to do, and remain vulnerable and open. 
but it still pierces my heart and makes my life more difficult. Even sometimes gossip that's not true. Rumors will begin. Have you heard? Did you know Pastor Ray said this? And the gossip begins to spread, and a bitter root grows in people's hearts. That's not the way of God. The way of the Lord Jesus is to guard one another, to encourage one another, to lift one another up, not to gossip. How do you how do you track down all the places that gossip went, destroying the reputation of a brother or a sister? Talking about them in ways that are negative and hostile. What do you gain by doing that? Does that make you somebody that you're on the inside and you know something and you want to share that with somebody else? That's gossip. It's wickedness. A gossip cannot enter the kingdom of God. Some of you want to gossip about President Trump. All you want to talk about is how bad Mr. Trump is or how good Mr. Trump is gossiping instead of praying lifting up your heart to the Lord and interceding for this man for his salvation that God will use him even as God used this wicked man Xerxes God used him to protect the Jewish people from the demons of of Haman Well, if we could just learn that we are not to sin against each other and we're not to sin against God, that we're to be forgiving and kind and merciful and keep our mouths shut. If I call you on the telephone and I say, well, have you heard what Mr. Trump has done now? Have I not sinned against the Almighty God? Instead of calling and saying, Brother, I've heard things that are very disturbing, that are happening. Can we pray for our president? See, I'm not coming to you as a Republican or as a Democrat. I'm coming to you as a Christian. This is not my home. I'm a sojourner here. I'm just passing through on the way to the heavenly kingdom. I don't want to sin against the president. I don't want to sin against my family. I don't want to sin against any brother or sister by gossiping about them. Some of you lust after money. You want more, more, more. You never have enough. You're angry. You fight with people about your money. You want to try to get more. It's Jesus who gives us the ability to gain wealth. Remember Job, the 12th chapter that I shared yesterday? The Lord's in charge. Will you trust him? Those times when I've awakened in the early hours of the morning, if I walk in despair and discouragement and hopelessness, 
I am being tested by God. And if I resort to feeling bad, to being down, to being depressed, I have sinned against God. I'm walking in unbelief. His call to me is to walk in belief and trust in the Almighty God in every area of my life. I am to trust Him. My confidence is to be in Him. Now, I'm in a place right now where I don't know how I'm going to make it through. I don't know. The road before me is totally blocked up. I don't think I've ever had a time in my life when things have looked so utterly dark. I'm not discouraged. I know Jesus has promised that he will, if I will wait on him, he will deliver me. He will carry me all the way through. How am I going to make it? Jesus. How am I going to pay for everything? Jesus, how am I going to have this and this that I need? Jesus, he said to me, you heard the story. Will you receive from my hand only what I choose to give you? And I said, yes. And he's been very kind to me. You can trust Jesus. I don't care what the circumstances are today. Do not walk in grumbling. Do not walk in despair. Do not walk with gossip. All of these are utter sin before Almighty God. He died to remove that sin from us. Now, let me read what Jesus has to say about this. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. This is the Sermon on the Mount. He continues. Verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father. Be perfect. In other words, don't walk in sin. Now, he gets very specific about what he means. Let me read this to you. This is chapter 5. Do not think I have come, verse 17, to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus came and fulfilled the law. How did he fulfill it? He kept it perfectly. I cannot perfectly keep the law. It condemns me. But I've been set free from the law of death 
And in Jesus Christ, by faith, I can perfectly keep the law because he keeps it in me. Now, let me read verse 19. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, they were perfect in their outward observance. Now, Jesus wants to talk about our ways, not our actions, our ways. Listen, this is Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 21. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, he's answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. There are, therefore, I tell you, if you're offering at the, at the altar... Remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled. Now, verse 27. Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. In other words, if you lust after a woman or a man, and it's your way, it's how you operate, you're not saved. That thing has to be cut out. And the only way it can be cut out is by the Spirit of God, by the blood of Jesus, coming and washing you and making you clean. It has been said, verse 31, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. He goes on to talk about divorce and remarriage. He's talking about the actual way of sin, anger, bitterness, fornication, adultery. These are all ways in our hearts not outward actions, inward life. Jesus is calling us to push all the way through to total victory, to kill those Amalekites that are holding us from Jesus. Every part of your life must be cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and when it is, you will no longer walk in any known rebellion or sin against him. And he will uncover everything if you ask him. It is a circumcision done by Jesus in the heart of man. It is done by faith in Jesus. And if that heart circumcision is not accomplished, you cannot be saved. You can call yourself a Christian, but you cannot be saved. 
Today I'm calling you to push all the way through to victory. To get before the Lord and deal with those issues. If I were to say to you, are you right with Jesus? What would you say? Whatever it is that you would say that's keeping you from Jesus, it's an Amalekite. Push through. Get that thing killed in your life. Get it cut off by the blood of Jesus. Repent before him. Weep before him. Deal to the bottom with it. And come out with peace and victory and joy. Because Jesus loves you. And he died for you. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I'm so grateful you've listened. I hope this has been helpful to you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And Gloria, especially, I want to thank you. You've been so faithful in giving, along with many others. I thank you. This broadcast is by faith in Jesus. He's the one who must move in your heart that I can stay on the air. And I'm so grateful for the letters and the offerings to Jesus. Please write to me, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. God bless you, my brother, my sister. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'll talk to you soon. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord.